I want to talk about something here that's a little bit challenging. And I ask you to bear with me a little bit because I find myself wanting to repeat the words that God has spoken to us. Do you know why that is? Because we haven't changed yet. The word of God has not manifested itself in each of our lives the way it should just yet. Some, yes, yes, and some not so much. But would that we would all be rushing along together. You know, that's literally what it means when it says they were of one mind and one accord in the upper room. It, it literally means they were together or rushing along together in the spirit. I felt a little bit of that today. The psalmist would say, as the deer pants for the water. You know, that's a real thing. It can be so parched and so hot that a deer will be walking through the desert with his tongue hanging out, panting like a dog, because he's so thirsty for the water. So when the psalmist writes about panting after God, that's a literal thing. Some of us have been seeking the Spirit for a while, and we don't know why we haven't gotten I want to serve notice on that notion. The Word of God promised you this, the Spirit when you asked persistently. That is an absolutely established truth of the Word of God. The reason some of us get it and some of us don't is directly connected to how big our ego is. The reason some of us change when the Word of God comes into our life is because some of us have faith in the Word. I thought of several instances before the meeting, and I even looked them up, of people who missed their opportunity. One was the children of Israel. One was Saul. He lost the kingdom that God had given him because he was disobedient to one word. And another was Esau. He's, he missed his chance because he couldn't find repentance. And the Bible tells us, even though he sought the blessing with tears, he never found repentance. And I know some translations leave that ambiguous, but that's actually what it says. Some translations put it exactly like that. You see, if a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, the man Christ Jesus, were to walk into this room and say to each of us, follow me. What would you do? Would you pontificate with him about where exactly do you plan to go? I have other ideas or people or situations in my life. You see, because to the Israelites, this was a man. He had this spirit of God without measure, but he was a man. So when the man walks in and he says, follow me, what would you do? What kind of faith do you have? You see, if a small child walked into this room and their parent walked up to them and said, follow me, son. What do you think the child would do? He just follow their parent, right? 
Everywhere parents go, their kids follow them. We take them by the hand, and we walk them around. We call them to come with. They have no idea where we're going. They have no idea how to get there, but they come, don't they? But see, when we are called to follow, we get a little too sophisticated about it, don't we? We say, where, Lord? I have other business. This is interfering with. I have friends and family at home. This, this call to follow you, it's, it's interfering with my life. Well, why should I do that? Because our faith in God is not like a little child, as Jesus said it must be. To quote him, he said, you, unless you repent and become like a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. When our Lord and Savior walks through our life and says, follow me, we question him. We delay him. But some follow him. I want to read you a quote from the 1800s. It's from Kierkegaard. It is well known that Christ consistently used the expression follower. He never asked for admirers, worshipers, or adherents. No, he calls disciples. It is not adherents of a teaching, but followers of a life Christ is looking for. What then is the difference between an admirer and a follower? A follower is or strives to be what he admires. An admirer, however, keeps himself personally detached. Can everybody say detached? An admirer keeps himself personally detached. He fails to see that what is admired involves a claim upon him. And thus he fails to be or strive to be what he admires. The admirer never makes any true sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Though in words, phrases, songs, he is inexhaustible about how highly he prizes Christ. He renounces nothing, gives up nothing, will not reconstruct his life, will not be what he admires, and will not let his life express what it is he supposedly admires. Not so for the follower. No, no. The follower aspires with all his strength, with all his will, to be what he admires. End of quote. I challenge each and every one of us to ask ourselves a question. Are we followers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Or do we merely come into church and worship together, admiring his presence, his life, the movement of his spirit, but never, never change, reconstruct our lives, never become Christ-like. When Jesus was about to send out the 70, 
in the Luke account. He apparently is going out looking for people to be a part of this contingent. This is not the 12 disciples, this is 70. So it includes many others. And it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, that is an incredibly encouraging statement. Jesus turns to him and says, thank you. Let's get right on it. No, that's not what he said. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's a challenge, a rebuttal that says, this is not going to be easy. There's no resting place for the Son of Man. So you're going to be his follower. This is not going to be a life of ease. He said to another man, follow me. He's looking for his 70. Do you get the, the picture? He's walking down the road and he's talking with people about whether or not they're going to follow him. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. The Amplified says, wait for my father's death. Let me postpone this to when I don't have this family attachment. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Do you hear this struggle going on? Do you hear it? Jesus is looking for people. He's looking for followers. He's walking down the road and he's talking to people. One says, I'll do anything. And he says, this is going to be hard. Another, he says, you follow me. And they say, but this, this family relationship, these obligations. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go and say goodbye to my family. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back to the things left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. Ooh. Have we ever wanted to turn around and take a good long look at the things we were called to leave? The relationships, the family members, have we ever wanted to turn and feel a longing back for the things that are behind us? Jesus says of this person, they are unfit for the kingdom of God. There is this inclination in the human heart. We see this with Lot in Sodom. It says that the angels had to grab his family by the hands and drag them out of the city. And even still, his wife could not resist turning to look back. And there turning, she turned into a pillar of salt, judged by the Lord. There is something inside of our hearts that is always yearning to look back. It wants to slow us down and hobble our feet so that we don't run in the path of His commands. I see a lot of farmers these days in the kingdom of God or who would like to be a part of the kingdom of God, who have their head turned looking over their shoulder. Their hands are on the plow, but their heart is still in Egypt. 
They're looking toward the mountains because they're being pulled by people of God. But their heart is still in Sodom. They're being dragged away from their own desires against their will. But Jesus would say they're not fit for the kingdom. Are we the kind of believer and follower who's always got a a glance over our shoulder? Paying mind to the country that we have left because it says that God will give them opportunity to return. Are we going to get started in this purpose of God following after the Lord Jesus and then have an opportunity to exit and go back to the things we once left behind. Do we say with our mouths, with our hearts, I wish that I was with my family in the world? Do we say in our hearts, I wish I had what the world has, the relationships that they have? Are we bidding our relatives, our friends, farewell? while turning our back on the Lord who says, follow me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I wish I had what they have out there in the world. I wish I had the pleasures. I wish I had the friends. I wish I had my old life. I wish I had my family. I wish I had, I wish I had. But all our wishes are over the fence. They're not in the kingdom of God. And then we wonder why we receive nothing from the Lord. Because our heart is divided. Our attention and our focus is divided. We're plowing this way and looking that way. Jesus would tell us that it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, who are going to be saved. But it is those who do his will. Jesus tells us that few are going to be saved. It's repeated in the Bible, repeatedly. Let me read you a verse. Then one said to him, this is from Luke 13, Lord, are there few who are saved? Someone's worried about someone. Maybe themselves. Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, You have the image? He's saying you better strive to enter through this narrow way because many are going to try, but they're not going to be able to. So the answer to the question, are few saved, is yes. Yes, many are going to fail to enter. But he says, if you don't do this, you are going to be on the outside of the door after he closed it, knocking. Saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where you are from. 
Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. You see, there is something about this verse that should put a little tingle up our spine. Because these people thought that the door would be opened when they knocked. These people thought that it was good enough to hear his teaching, to eat and drink in his presence. They thought that they had an infinite amount of time to show up. And when they get to the door and it's closed, they start talking about the injustice of this. Lord, open for us. And they go to show those credentials and he says, I don't know you or where you come from. You see, he repeats that twice in a matter of one and a half verses. There is something about God knowing us and knowing the place to which we belong that is important to our salvation. He needs to know you. And he needs to know where you come from. Thank you, Jesus. You see, these people, they heard something, but they didn't strive to go through the narrowing way. They thought it would be okay to go through the broader path. It's a little easier over there. And then they made it, well, they made it, but they made it a little too late. Like the children of Israel made it a little too late to the promised land. Like Esau made it a little too late to the blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Does God know you? Does he know where you're from? Are you a follower of the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. I want to visit on these words. Strive and seek that Jesus uses to describe the different categories of people. Those who enter through the narrow way are strivers. And those who don't are seekers. But I want to visit on those words for a second here. But first... I want to read a verse from Jeremiah that I believe these people are going to feel when the door is closed and they're on the outside knocking. Jeremiah 8, the harvest is past. The summer has ended and we are not saved. You know what he's talking about right there? There was a time when there was a harvest when the fields were ready and there was a reaper going out and harvesting his grain and bringing it in. And in that time, salvation could have been had. But these people mourn and say the harvest has passed. The summer is over and we're not saved. There is a moment that comes in our lives where we miss the opportunity to go through the door before it shuts. This concept is all throughout scripture. 
I could elaborate it at great length. But I would challenge each and every one of us in here tonight. If you know that it is a time of harvest in your life where the Lord is calling to you, I urge you in the name of the Lord, do not ever find yourself in the position of knocking on a closed door because the Lord has closed the window of opportunity. Do not ever find yourself crying out with the children of Israel in their time of judgment. The harvest is past. The summer is over and we're still not saved. You see, whenever the door is still open, there is still time. There is still opportunity. This word strive is a cognate and it shares the same root as our English word agonize. The root is agon, from which we get agonize. It describes a struggle. It describes warfare. It describes an intense contest or athletic contest. Jesus is using terminology that is fighting language. He is saying if you do not have the will to go through the agony of warfare for this, you're not going to enter. The word seek simply means to seek or to find out by thinking. Do we think about it too long? Too much? Meditating. Reasoning. To inquire into. Strong's tells us that this word can even describe a worshiper. To use Kierkegaard's words, I would tell you that that is an admirer. That is someone who goes and worships with God's people, admires the presence of the Lord, His nature, His identity, but never picks up their cross and follows Him. And the reason that they don't is because of the cross. No one wants to die on a cross. But Jesus would say, unless we do take up our cross and follow Him, we're not worthy of Him. Brothers and sisters, our worthiness to worship our Lord and Savior has everything to do with how crucified our flesh is on the cross we carry daily. Thank you, Jesus. The word agony in the English language means extreme and generally prolonged pain. Intense, physical, or mental suffering. The struggle preceding natural death. A violent struggle. Or of the Lord, what he went through in Gethsemane. How would you feel about it if we read the word as agon? Agonize to enter. For many, I tell you, will seek. They will ponder it. They will reason about it. 
They will discuss it, but they will not be able to. But the ones who can agonize can fight for their place in the kingdom of God. They're going to enter. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 7 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus tells us the reason that many do not go through is because how narrowing it is. At this time, I would challenge us. How long have you been seeking to enter? Let's be honest now for a minute here. Yes? How long have you been seeking to enter? Are you an admirer? Or are you a follower? The excruciation that must come to the flesh, the crucifixion of the flesh, the cross that must be carried on the back. Does that stop us? Does that stop us? You see, if you see a Christian who names the name of Christ, but he does not have a cross on his back, he is an admirer. He is not a follower. Jesus would say, take up your cross daily and follow me. The man, the woman who says, I am a Christian, but has no cross, is not a Christian. They are an admirer of the Lord and his ways, but they are not a follower. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians 9... Our race is not run as if everybody is going to win the prize. Do you see how that changes the way we run? I mean, if everybody's going to be a winner, like they teach you today in, in this common, ridiculous, you know, public school theory, everybody's a winner. If everybody's a winner, then everyone also is a loser. But Paul tells us that we don't live for God like that. He says that we run as if we're the only one who's going to win. What he's saying is, you better be very serious about the race you're running. <laughs> you better be so serious about this that you outrun everybody else. Now, is that how we live for God? Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Disciplined. He's telling us how we're going to be qualified to win the prize. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. I want to know what you guys think 
about the way that you pursue the kingdom of God. You don't have to say it. But I want you to ponder it. Because if we pursue it in the wrong way, we might find ourselves knocking on a very closed door. Thank you, Jesus. You see, repentance is the cost of entering. Repentance is the agony, the death of the flesh that even the Lord is talking about. We have to fight for this. You see, some of us in this room tonight are too proud to fight in a humble, honest way. We don't want God's people to see us engaged in warfare with all our might. We want to look like we've got it all together. We've got it all stitched up. We're, we're never desperate for the Lord. Mm -mm. This is coming pretty easy for me. Yeah, I'm even kind of bored. Are you bored because you're an admirer? Because I have a tendency to think that the person who's training to win the race, it's pretty obvious. Their neighbors know it. Their family knows it. Everybody on their block knows it. Everybody in the arena knows it. Everybody in their life knows who they are based upon the contest that's coming. I knew of a man who, who was going to go up climbing up Mount Everest. And man, you knew it. He was out in the streets of the city here in Waco. He had packs on his back. He ran every day. He was sweating and pushing himself till almost dead because he knew that if he did not get in shape, he was going to die on the mountain. But do you think anybody, not just his friend group, anybody in his entire neighborhood didn't know what he was training for? You see, if your race is a secret to you, to your family, to the people around you, it's not for real. It doesn't consume your life. You're not running in such a way as to win the prize. You see, his neighbors would come out and meet him at a certain time every morning and give him a glass of water because they knew he was going to be there every single day training for that contest. Are you so predictable in your pursuit of the Lord Jesus that your neighbors could meet you every morning with a glass of water? Do your co-workers know it? Or do you just come in and act like you're part of the church when you're with the church, but when you're with the world, you act just like the world? You look like the world, you dress like the world, you talk like the world. Or does everybody in your life know that you're on a mission? That you're fighting for a place in the kingdom of God? When the word of God comes to you, what does it do for you? Does it ignite a fire inside your soul? Does it awake the fighting spirit? As the faith charges your body with energy to do God's will? Let me read the words of Jesus. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, 
The gospel of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. Woo, I love that. Does that describe you? When the preaching of the kingdom of God comes into your life, does it turn you into a forcer? Are you forcing your way into the kingdom? Are you energized by the preaching of the word such that you could be described as forcing your way in? Matthew 11 says it this way. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Whew. See, that gets me excited right there. Because I, I want you to know that marks people who are going to make it. They are excited. They are forceful. They are energized by the preaching of the kingdom of God. And man alive do they enter. You see, we're a little bit too sophisticated to be excited. No, we're just a little too proud. Thank you, Jesus. I study this word for forceful or violent men and the strongs, and it says... A violent man or a forceful man, one who is eager in pursuit or forceful or energetic. You know what I have decided marks almost every person that I see enter the kingdom of God? They are eager. I'm serious. They are full of energy and eagerness to enter. And those who are too sophisticated and proud to even work themselves up into a, a place of faith and fervor toward God, they never enter. Never. And if they make it in, they probably came over the wall. Thank you, Jesus. I read a commentary that tells us the Greek noun does not primarily describe a violent person or the use of physical force, but it says that it more accurately would depict Violent men as eager men of impetuous zeal. Whoa. See, I love that. You know, we think of impetuousness as a negative trait. And it is most of the time. But when you are impetuous in your zeal for God, it's wonderful. And it marks a man ready to enter the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Men of eager, impetuous zeal who grasp the kingdom of heaven, its peace, pardon, and blessedness with as much eagerness as men would snatch and carry off as their own the spoil of a conquered city. Can you picture that? They're rushing in to possess the treasures of the kingdom of God. They are eager about it. They're so zealous. They are impetuously zealous. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Men of eager, impetuous zeal. Oh, does that describe us? Have we lost the fire? Have we lost the, the desire, the motivation, the inspiration to do this, to fight for this? Has the candle gone out on our faith? Or is there still an eagerness in our hearts to fight our way into the kingdom? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You see, some people are just 
incapable of walking as a child amongst their peers. Their ego's too big. Some people have thoughts and aspirations toward things that they should have left behind. Some people have security and things that they shouldn't have security in. The rich young ruler came to the Lord, and the Lord tells him to follow him. But he had security in his riches. So he turned down the offer to follow the Lord, a rare offer, might I add, to go pursue his riches. And he went away sad, but he still went away. Because his treasure was somewhere besides the kingdom of God. So when a man walks up to him who's under the anointing and says, follow me, and he knows it's the Lord, he said so. He says, good teacher, and Jesus makes sure that he understands that there's no good one but God. Amen. So he knows there's something going on here. This is powerful. This is exciting. This is the truth. This is the anointing. But when there came a choice between two things that were valuable, he valued the wrong one. He was just disobedient to the simple command that says, give it up and follow. Are you okay with being a follower? Oh, everyone wants to be a leader. But in the kingdom of God, everyone is a follower. We all want to blaze our own trail in this world. No, 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 no. In this humble kingdom, there's only one leader, the Lord Jesus himself. And all the rest of us, we're following him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. My sheep, listen to my voice. The kingdom of heaven is being preached. And the sheep of God are listening. And they're hearing the voice. My sheep listen to my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. Can everybody say follow me? Follow me. Follow me. Yes. The sheep of God follow him. Listen to what he says. And I give them eternal life. We're still talking about salvation here, Lord. Are there few who are saved? Yes. But the ones who know how to follow the Lord are going to receive eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know what's incredible about living for God? Really, we just don't have to be original. You know, the flesh wants to be original in everything. We want to blaze that trail. We want to be the, the hero. We want to be the big shot. I mean, let's just admit it. That's what we want. We want to be noticed. We want to be liked. We want to be seen by the world, by our peers. We have allegiances. We have confidence and trust in things that give us our support. But when we come to God, we give all of that up. And we change our identity. We change our name. We change our purpose. And we change our posture. We are no longer leaders of our own life. But we are followers of the Lord Jesus. Yes, yeah, sure, it comes with a cross. You see, but what's incredibly empowering is that we are not leading our own way into oblivion or into the unknown. But we have a clear and faithful guide. You see, in the 1800s, there was a huge push to go west. And people amassed 
in Missouri and places like that. And they wanted to travel across the great empty of the United States, which was the West. And they wanted to go all the way to the coast, 1,800 miles by foot. And no, they didn't ride in their wagons. Their goods rode in their wagons. They walked. But they would stay in those cities right on the edge of the frontier, and they would wait. They would wait sometimes months, gathering supplies and just waiting. The city would be full of people waiting. They were all waiting for the same thing. They were waiting for a guide. Because they knew that hostile Indians were out there that were going to murder them, scalp them. They knew they were going to face battles. They knew if they didn't get across the desert and the plains before winter that they were going to die. And so there was no time for wandering. None at all. It was going to take them all summer to make it to Oregon. And see, living for God's a whole lot like that. We come to this staging area. The children of Israel were there when they amassed on the Jordan River. And we're kind of milling around waiting in that, that place. What, what do we do next? What do we do next? But the difference for us is there is a clear, direct path. Sure, it's bloodstained where our Lord led all of us up to the hill where our flesh is going to be crucified. But it leads straight into the kingdom of God. We don't have to mark our own way like they waited till someone came along who knew how to get there. Someone who had walked this way before. We have our Lord Jesus and He's walked this way before us. Thank you, Jesus. No, we don't do this alone. We follow Him. He's our guide and our example. And with Him comes the power to do everything that He requires. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, what in the world are we waiting for? I mean it, what are we waiting for? Have we heard the Word of God? Have we heard it? How long do we have to be in the staging area and watch guide after guide go out before we realize that we're just an admirer? We don't actually listen for the voice of Jesus and start following. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're just one thought away from your victory. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're just one decision away from your change. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You have sat in this city. You have sat on the other side of the Jordan too long. Some of you have. Way too long. And you say to yourself, I'm waiting. And if someone were to ask you, what are you waiting for? You wouldn't be able to tell them. Do you know how I know that? Because some people have asked you that. And you couldn't tell them. You see, all you should be waiting for is the sound of preaching about the kingdom of God. The same thing Jesus talked about. Since the time of John the Baptist, there's been a preaching that's going out that says there's a kingdom prepared for you. Oh, it's going to cost you something. No, it is going to cost you everything. But all you got to do is be willing to agonize to enter. 
you got to hear the sound of faith coming on the Word of God. Where does faith come from? Hearing the Word. Amen. you got to hear the sound of faith. And in your heart has to rise up something that's eager and zealous for entry. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, away with all this procrastinating. Away with all this. There is no excuse. Let us not be those who are knocking when the door is shut. Because we thought we knew the Lord because we heard him preaching in our streets. We ate and drank in his presence. We've already done that tonight. We have partaken of the life of the Spirit even in this meeting. You know, I, I have a, an inclination to say with you, Brother Tim, that, that the people who try to live there are the most miserable people on the planet. I take a cross any day with clear faith in God than live in that compromised state of neither having the world and its pleasures nor having the kingdom and its fullness of joy. That's a horrible place, a no man's land. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There's a song that says, I can hear my Savior calling, and I will go with him. And that's the song on my heart, because I can hear him calling. Yes, I can hear him calling. And I even hear him calling some of our names. Yes, specific names. It is time for us to start becoming a follower of the Lord. We can just put one foot in front of the other. Let's match his steps. There's clear, clear steps in front of us that God has put in front of us. And we would do well to respond to his call. Let's go back to what Brother Tim read. Today, if you hear his voice, don't be hard-hearted. Don't, don't be amongst those who harden their hearts in disobedience to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, and lost their opportunity. Thank you, Jesus. But let us be those who reach out in faith to tell the Lord, I'll forget my past. I'll forget even my family if that's what it takes. That's what he said, isn't it? If you love father and mother, he went through the whole family. More than me, you're not worthy. Lord, I'll forget them all to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. I'll forget my desires for this world, the comforts of it, the pleasures of sin that be there for a season for a much higher calling and purpose with a cross.